Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on October 16th, 2022, on the basis of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Gospel reading and also our sermon text comes from Luke chapter 18. Uh, we've been talking about this for a, a while, I guess, but uh, the, the book of Luke records in, in probably greatest detail of any of the gospel writers, Jesus' uh, Perean ministry, which was his, his final travels to Jerusalem where he, he taught he taught the people in, in some of these small towns as he went, and, and the crowd gathered as he made his way to Jerusalem. Um, it started all the way back in Luke chapter 9, and we've been walking through the book of Luke here, so now we're in Luke chapter 18, and he's still, he's still on this Perean uh, journey here to, to Jerusalem, but he is, he's getting close. He's getting close to the time when, when he'll go to the cross and, and when all of, all of Holy Week events will happen. Uh, so in, in this part, he, he's addressing a group of people, and it says this, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The Gospel of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I, I'm sure you've, you've put yourself in the disciples' shoes uh, before. I, I'm sure that in sermons, we've talked about that before, too. Uh, what it would be like from the perspective of the disciples. It, it's often one that is worth wondering about. What it would have been like to experience some of the things that they got to see or hear some of the things that they got to hear? What it would it have been like to be on the boats as Jesus is walking on the water out to them, and then they see Peter walk out towards Jesus, and Peter sinks, and Jesus grabs him back up. Can you imagine the thrill, the, the sheer terror probably the disciples are experiencing, but the thrill that they felt as well. Uh, it, there was nothing quite like being with Jesus. <laughs> it, it would have been amazing to be on that, on that countryside and, and be one of those thousands of people who were sitting there as Jesus fed all of them, with just a couple fish and a few loaves of bread. It would have been amazing to experience what they experienced, to witness what they witnessed. And of course, it's not just the miracles that would have been cool to see. Uh, it would have been cool to hear Jesus preach and teach, to hear it straight from his, his mouth. It would also be interesting to observe the, the habits, the, the mannerisms of the Son of God. Someone who was perfect, who was born in a miraculous way, 
you got to think about some of the things that the disciples did witness in that. Because it wasn't just miracles, but they witnessed Jesus doing other things like often retreating to pray. Jesus enjoyed a a very frequent and rich prayer life with his Father. And for as much time as Jesus spent in front of people, teaching people and preaching, he spent just as much time in solitude, in prayer. And the disciples saw that. That was something that they took note of, and they wanted to pray like Jesus prayed. And so they made the request of Jesus that has affected millions of people, that has influenced generations. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And from that request, the Lord gave us the Lord's Prayer, right? Prayed weekly in church for over 2,000 years, prayed much more than that. But you got to wonder if there was a little bit more to that request than just the content of the prayer. Sure, the disciples were after the content of the prayer, and Jesus taught them that. But could it be that the disciples also wanted the manner in which Jesus prayed? They saw how he prayed. He fervently sought time with his Father. He wanted to make that a priority to retreat, to get away from people, to have some time in solitude to spend one-on-one with his, his father. He, he enjoyed a, a, an a honest conversation with his father. It was obvious to the disciples that he had a close connection and communion with the father. Just imagine before the disciples fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, what they witnessed in Jesus' prayer. They, they could hear the, the passion in his voice as he's crying out to the father, asking if this cup could be taken from him. And, and we're told that 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 sweat fell like drops of blood from him. This was a passionate prayer life that Jesus experienced with the Father. And the disciples had to have noticed that. And they wanted that. They wanted that kind of relationship, that kind of connection with the Father. And maybe you do too. Maybe you've kind of felt like your prayer life has lost momentum. Like you're going through the motions you say the words, but your heart's not in it. If, if we were to describe your prayer life, maybe it, it wouldn't be lively and passionate. Maybe the words we'd use to describe our prayer life is stale, dull, bored. Or maybe you've given up on prayer altogether. Well, Jesus has a parable for that. And the parable starts with this introduction, with this preface. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So we already know what it's about, right? A lot of times he waits till the end of the parable to tell us what the parable is about. But he tells us right from the beginning what this parable is going to be about. And then he goes into it. And there's two characters we're introduced to. Uh, first is, is the judge. And now, when, when we're introduced to these characters, it's always important in parables to pay attention to the details because the details mean something, right? So we, we have a judge first as, as this first character, and he's not an upstanding judge. We're given a few details about him. He is unjust because he does not fear God, which is not altogether necessary to be a good judge. You could be a good, fair, honest judge and not believe in God, right? But you couple that with the fact that he had no regard for mankind, essentially is what that's saying. 
And you get kind of the picture of this guy. He, he did not become a judge because he wanted to help people out. Uh, he became a, a judge maybe because he loved the power, he wanted the control, he liked that his word was the final say. He was an unjust judge that didn't care about God or people. And that unjust judge is on a crash course with this widow. Why does Jesus choose a widow? Why is a widow the one that he chooses as the other character in this story? Why didn't he choose a Pharisee? Why didn't he choose a farmer? Well, maybe here's a reason. I don't know how much you know about the culture at that time, but widows were, were not, uh, didn't have standing in the community at that time. They were often overlooked and looked down on. It wasn't right. It wasn't a right way, but that, that was how the culture was at that time. And so if you combine that culture and how the widow was viewed at that time with an unjust judge who doesn't care about God or people, then when you have this widow appearing before this judge, then here's the picture you got. You got a guy that doesn't care about anybody, and he's certainly not going to care about this this widow. She can bring any kind of plea that she wants to him, but he's not going to take it seriously. But you got to give the widow props, right? She keeps coming. She keeps coming. She knows that she deserves justice, and she knows that she should get it, and the judge should be the one that gives it to her. And so she keeps coming. She keeps coming. And she says, grant me justice against my adversary, and she is persistent. And the judge, being unjust, he puts her off for a while. He keeps, he keeps saying no to her, hoping that she'll just go away once, once and for all. He's not going to give her what she wants, but she keeps coming. And eventually, the judge just gives in. He, he says, okay, I, I've had enough of this. And he, and he doesn't give her justice because he suddenly had a strike of morality that, that he's going to make the moral decision here. And it isn't because he cares about the widow. It's because he's worn down. Uh, the, the Greek is kind of interesting in this. It, in, the, in the text, it says that uh, he gives in because so that she won't eventually come and attack me, right? He's probably not physically worried about the, the widow attacking him. He's being a little hyperbolic here, but it actually could be translated uh, he's, that eventually she won't come and give me a black eye is actually what the, what the, the translation could be. But, but he's, he's, she's come back again and again that she's worn him down enough that he, he's just done. He, he's going to give her what she wants, give her justice so that he doesn't have to see her again. It's, it's a kind of persistence, endurance, perseverance that if we saw it with our eyes and even as we hear about it here, we admire it. Despite her circumstances, she kept pushing. Despite the, the wickedness of this judge, she kept going. And we admire somebody who, who has that fortitude, somebody who has that within them, that persistence to keep seeking after what's right, seeking after justice in that way. But it's at this time that we get to the end of the parable that we start to try to figure out what all these details mean. Okay, who's the, who's the widow? Who's the unjust judge? Jesus already prefaced this by saying that this is about prayer. So are we supposed to be the, the widow in this? And is Jesus or is God supposed to be the unjust judge? And in our hearts, immediately we say, no, no, of course, God's not the unjust judge. Why would we ever accuse God of being unjust. But, but maybe just stop there for a second. We might not verbally say that, right? 
But let me ask you this. What does your prayer life communicate about what you think about God? We can say one thing, right, that we know is right, that we have come to learn is, is the truth. We can say one thing, but our actions, our prayer life can indicate something much different. And communication has a way to do that, doesn't it? If you studied the communication between, if somebody noticed the, the communication between you and someone else, they would be able to tell how good your relationship is or if your relationship is a little bit off because you're not likely to want to communicate with somebody who has let you down or, or if you are communicating with them, it's going to look a little different, right? You're, you're going to try to probably avoid communicating with, with someone who you know doesn't really care about you or you're going to take a certain tone with them. And you might avoid conversation altogether with somebody who you have offended or hurt because you just don't want to have that awkward conversation. And if somebody did witness that awkward conversation, they could probably feel that tension too, right? So what does your communication with God reveal about your relationship with him? What does your communication with God reveal about how you view God? That's maybe a sobering thought sometimes, a convicting thought to think of that. Um, maybe you don't pray as much anymore. Maybe you, you've kind of lost heart because you've go, gone to God in prayer, maybe even persistently, and the prayer didn't get answered the way that you thought it was going to or the way that you asked for it to be answered. Maybe... Uh, You've, you've kind of fallen into thinking that God is only the God that cares about big things, right? We only pray for big things here in church, or it seems like that sometimes, right? So why would I bring to God some of the, what I consider the, the minor details of my life? He's not going to care about that. Maybe in some ways I think he doesn't care about me. Or maybe you've prayed for a long time, and it seems like God's never done anything. And so you, you kind of think that maybe he couldn't or wouldn't do anything for you. What does your communication habits with God reveal about the way that you, you look at God? You know, maybe an, another thing that we, we tend to do is when we know that the, re, re, the relationship is not right, when I know that I've sinned a lot, when I know I've offended God, I might try to stay away from him, right? Right? And there was a time when, when there was distance between us and God, right? The Bible says that there was a time when you and I were alienated from God. We were foreigners to him. We were separated, and our relationship with God was completely broken. But it was Jesus, of course, who had that close connection and communion with the Father. It was he who came so that he could restore that, that close connection and communion with you. He, he could bring you and God back together. The Bible says that God has reconciled you to himself. When you hear reconcile, you think of a relationship, right? You think of two people that, that have been estranged that are coming back together, Jacob and Esau, who are, were estranged and came back together. Esau gave Jacob a hug, right? That, that's the picture that, of what Jesus did for you. He brought you 
and God back together. He removed that separation. He gave you that connection and communion with God again. And he did it through faith, by giving you faith. That, that baptismal font is where you're forged back together with your, your father again as he called you his own, as he called you his child, his child who he wants to speak to in his word, and his child who he wants to hear from in prayer. And so because of Jesus, because he has reconciled us, we get to speak to the father as a child speaks to their, their loving father. If you have a father that's, that's loving, that's caring, that's compassionate, if you have a father that, that is perfect in, in every way, you don't talk to him because you have to. You don't talk to him because you're scared of him. You don't talk to him when, when you have some big crisis, just because you have some big crisis. You talk to him because he's your father. And that's what children do. They talk to their father who loves them and cares about them and wants to hear them. When we're trying to figure out the details of, of the parable, of course, God is not the unjust judge. But what Jesus is doing here is making a, a very uh, pointed comparison here from the least to the greatest. It, it, kind of the punchline of this, of this parable is in, in verse 7. He says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So he's saying, if even the unjust judge eventually gave justice, right? Now, he didn't give it for the right reasons, but he eventually gave justice, right? Even, if even the unjust judge gives justice, then how much more won't your heavenly Father, who loves you so deeply, who loves you so passionately, how much more won't he grant you justice? If he loved you enough to send his own son to die on the cross for your sins and be raised to life for your justification, if he loved you that much, well, then he certainly will give you justice. And even more than that, he will listen to you. That widow was not listened to, not taken seriously by the unjust judge. But, but you are not the widow in that story. Because as you stand before God, God takes you seriously. He takes your words to him seriously. He doesn't discard them and say, that person is so small, I'm not going to listen to them. He listens to you, and even more than that, he wants to. He wants to listen to you. He has opened up the phone line between you and God, and he wants you, he wants you to use it and use it often. And he patiently listens. It's kind of an interesting translation point here. If you, look at, uh, if you want to open up your worship folder, look at verse 7. Again, uh, in, the, in the text, in verse 7, it says, And will God not bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? That's certainly a, a, a fair way to translate that. And the, the kind of the truth that we get from that is the comparison to the judge, right? The judge kept putting the widow off. He kept putting her off, putting her off, putting her off. So the comparison is, God won't do that. Right? The, the answer to the question is, will he keep putting you off? Of course not. Of course he won't. He will grant you justice and give it to you quickly. And, and that's a fair way to translate that, but, but here's another way that it could be translated. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night, though he is patient with them? That, that's how it also could be translated. God is patient with us. Now, we know, we know that that's true in a lot of ways. 
He looks pat, or he he is patient with us who sin sin against him, and he continues to give us his grace again and again. But he's patient with us in our prayers, too. He, the Almighty God, he he listens even when my prayers are selfish, even when the content of my prayers is completely misguided. He listens even when I'm praying for things that he knows will not be good for me. He listens to my big requests, to my small requests. And you know what? He does more than just listen. He, he takes your prayers into account. So this is the, the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who makes nations rise and fall, who does miracles beyond explanation. As he governs and preserves the world, he takes your prayers into account. You understand how amazing of a privilege that is. We, we are allowed to enter the throne room of our king and present our requests to him. He is the one who can do the most for you. And you know what? He already has. You know, we, we often emphasize when we, we talk about grace, we, we emphasize that it's unconditional, that it's undeserved, that it's unmerited and rightly so. And when we're talking about that grace, we, we, it, it's shown first and foremost in his son who died on the cross for our sins, um, and we didn't earn that. We didn't deserve that. But it's also a grace that God gives us that we are able to come to him in prayer and that he promises to listen and, and even more than that, to take our prayers into account. God's grace continues to abound even in that way for us. And it is faith in that grace that starts and grows a prayer life. Your prayer life is not going to grow, and, and, it, and if you want a lively and passionate prayer life, it's not going to happen by focusing on my own effort. A lively and passionate prayer life comes from knowing God and knowing him better. And not just a, a knowledge, not just a head knowledge about God, but a personal dealing with him. It, it's carrying God's word with you as you walk through life, applying God's word to the different experiences that you have in your life. That's how you get to know him better. Have you ever had that where a passage that you heard when you were in eighth grade, uh, it hits you a bit differently when you're 25, it hits you even differently when you're 40, and it hits you way differently when you're, you're laying on your deathbed someday. God's word comes with you through a life, and it's this personal dealing with God as you carry his word with you, as you listen to him. And the conversation's not one-sided as you personally deal with God. As you listen to him in his word, you also speak to him in prayer. You wrestle with him, like Jacob wrestled, through good times and through bad, and a lot of times through that struggle is born a passionate and lively prayer life. For those who, who do not give up, right? Who always pray and not give up, as Jesus encouraged at the very beginning. Faith and prayer, they go together. It's the inhale and the exhale of the Christian, because those who have faith pray. Jesus ends the parable in, in maybe a, a way that's actually fairly characteristic of Jesus, but in, in a way that we would not expect and he doesn't want anybody to forget about the gospel. He doesn't want anybody to forget about his grace as he's saying this. But we're going to end the sermon today in the same way that Jesus ends 
this parable. So if, and it's true, but if faith and prayer are so closely tied together, if faith and prayer are the inhale and the exhale of Scripture, then Jesus has the right to ask, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I pray he does. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Hey, in this 21st century, one of the ways that you can share your faith is pretty easy. By sharing this podcast, by sharing this sermon, you, you can share Jesus' love with somebody that might need to hear it today. If you like what you, you heard today, maybe consider doing something just like that. And we'll, we'll see you here back next week for another sermon. God bless.